the hatred of the Jews through the lens of DEI or critical theory is is actually just the latest expression of a hatred that goes back thousands of years. Outstanding is a production of The Washington Stand, where you can find news and commentary from a biblical worldview. And welcome again to Outstanding. I'm your host, Joseph Backholm. This is the place where we have critical conversations about the news of the day and the ideas that shape us. And today, we are certainly going to be talking about the news of the day. And the goal every single episode is to think about the news of the day in a way that takes every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, not resorting to tribalism, uh, really caring about what the truth is, and not be guided primarily by our emotions, but primarily by our love of truth, but also informed by our understanding of how the world is as God has revealed it to us in Scripture. And one category uh, that we are often uh, uncomfortable with recognizing and operating in is the category of evil. And Scripture is full of reminders that it exists. There are There is evil, which means there are evil people. Uh, Proverbs 24, 2. For their hearts, describing the evil people, for their hearts plot violence and their lips talk of mischief. We have seen terrible examples of this in recent days as Hamas has invaded, attacked Israel. The descriptions of the atrocities being committed by these terrorists, there's no other word for it other than evil. And this region of the world, of course, is no stranger to violence, but this latest coordinated attack is being described as Israel's 9-11 and is certain to lead to a strong retaliation by Israel and many fear a protracted war. Uh, How should we be thinking about this? What are the facts? Uh, What is true and what is just spin? Joining me to help us understand this is Luke Moon. He's the deputy director of the Philos Project. They work in Israel to build a pluralistic Near East based on freedom and the rule of law where nations, tribes, and religious communities can live beside each other as neighbors. And of course, the recent developments are a complicating factor in all of this. Luke has lived and worked in 45 different countries. He has degrees in global politics and political studies, or in biblical studies, I'm sorry, and is also an ordained Southern minister. Luke, thanks for taking some time today. My pleasure. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Well, it's a complex situation. Uh, Do you have a simple way to help people understand uh, what is happening right now in Israel? Well, I think you described it as evil. It basically, and that's the way I would describe it. That's the simplest way is an evil, an act of evil uh, by Hamas, which is a, as you said, a terrorist organization uh, committed against the Jewish people uh, at 6.30 in Israel time on Saturday morning, which was their Shabbat, uh, their day and of so rest. The, and let's focus on that point, Luke, if I may, for a moment. That's not a coincidence, is it? No, it's not. Actually, it was It was uh, almost to the day, the 50th anniversary of the last surprise attack against Israel. Uh, in 1973, uh, both Egypt and Syria attacked Israel on the same day on the on Yom Kippur, which is their annual day of fasting. They fast for 25 hours on that on that day. And this was, um, but it was the 50th anniversary of that. And so it was very intentional uh, and meant to also, uh, it, Totally caught Israel by surprise, honestly. Totally caught. 
Yeah, and and this has been referred to as an intelligence failure. Is that fair? You mentioned that this was they were totally caught by surprise. Of course, Israel is always on some level on guard because they know that there are always threats to them nearby. Do you consider this to be an intelligence failure? The fact that they seem to have been completely surprised by this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is that is uh, one of the things that people are going to take away from this was the, the really the utter failure of uh, Israel's intelligence oper- apparatus, but also uh, everybody else who is in the region looking at uh, Hamas, looking at Hezbollah, looking at these terrorist organizations, um, completely caught off guard. And I, it makes me wonder, like, you know, how much of uh, the the role of the United States and our intelligence apparatus turning uh, our attention towards a favorable view of Iran. You know, the, the fact that you have um, one of the chiefs of staff in the Department of Defense this le- this last week was was uh, basically found out to be part of an Iranian kind of uh, intellectual club that was very favorable towards the the Ayatollah and um, that kind of stuff. And it's, I, I think we should look at this uh, very as uh, like America has a part to play in, in this tragedy in a big way. You know, Luke, you, you just mentioned a number of different players. You talked about Hamas, you talked about Hezbollah, and then you started talking about Iran. And, and, and a lot of our audience is not going to understand kind of who these players are and help us connect some dots. These are different organizations. How are they all relevant to what's happening right now? So Hamas and Hezbollah are are two terrorist organizations, uh, basically fa- uh, funded heavily by Iran. Uh, Iran has committed itself to funding them. Uh, Hezbollah, which is on the northern border of Israel, is basically is in total control of the country of Lebanon at this point, but particularly in the southern part of the country. And it is uh, it is a Shia uh, part of Islam. And one of the backdrops to this, I think, is really important for everybody always to keep in their mind is that there is a Basically, there is a Sunni-Shia civil war taking place and has been for basically the last decade or more. Um, it's like, you know, I, I liken it to the back in the day. Everybody knows the history of like the Catholic uh, versus Protestant wars, you know, the 30-year war, the 100-year war. That's that's going on right now in the Middle East. And so that's always a backdrop to keep in mind um, between the Shia uh, which is mostly Iran, but also Syria, uh, parts of Lebanon, parts of Iraq, and then the Sunni, which are the majority of Muslims in the world, and that is Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates and Jordan, Egypt, that kind of stuff. And so there has been this the the warming of relationships between Israel and the Sunni countries have largely been about the fact that Israel has a lot of muscle. They have the best and, planes. They have good fighters. All that stuff. And that was the uh, Abraham Accords, correct? During the That's Trump correct. administration, yeah. with kind of the normalization of relationships between Israel and the Sunnis. Yeah, yeah. And it was okay. looking like, yeah, it was looking like 
Saudi Arabia was going to join that any day. Uh, actually, one of the th interesting things uh, to, to at play here was there was a gathering that was supposed to start, I think, today um, in Israel of the foreign ministers of the countries of uh, the Abraham Accords. So all the and to be clear, that, since we're recording this, yeah, today yeah. is Monday, October 9th, as we are recording this, and, and this is going yep. to be released um, after today. Um, but th yeah. th that's kind of the context. We're, and, and for anybody yeah. who is able to, as you listen to this, it's actually quite helpful probably to get a map. And I know a lot of people are driving and they shouldn't be doing that or whatever. They're in the gym. Um, but because of all these pieces, if you can like visualize this tiny little country of Israel uh, on the Mediterranean Sea, on the east coast, of course, of the Mediterranean Sea, and then to the north, you have Lebanon and you referred to, the, which is almost entirely controlled by Hezbollah. And yep. then something that people refer to, no, well, probably be familiar with is the Gaza Strip, which is kind of the southern part of Israel. Well, I guess, yep. I mean, it's it's more south. Um, there is there is a territory south of Israel, to be sure. But that is primarily controlled by Hamas. And that's is right. that and that's where um, this most recent attack came from? Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. It uh, basically it's this it's a very small strip. It was it used to be part of Egypt before 1967. Then it was taken over by by Israel in the Six Day War. Uh, and it became kind of basically it was where a lot of a lot of Arabs lived. And uh, it happened to be where I mean, it's in the Bible also, mind you. Uh, it's one of the cities, uh, the regions that was ruled by the Philistines. Um, as was Ashkelon, which is also right down there. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a very kind of flat, uh, you know, sand dunes. Think of like, you know, if in, you know, in an ideal world, it could be, you know, it could be a beautiful vacation spot like any Mediterranean city, right? It could be like that. Instead, it's like, uh, it is, there, there are potentially, I think maybe 700 Christians in in Gaza, in out of a population of somewhere around one and a half to two million people, uh, it is ninety nine point nine 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 percent Muslim, and of that, they're 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 all Sunnis, um, and so it's basically the most probably ethnically homogenous place in the planet, right? Like there's there just there's nobody else. It's just all Muslims, and. Uh, you know that plays into it in a in a big way, obviously, because you have nobody else who's kind of taking the pressure off this. So now you you just mentioned a possible motive uh, of the idea that Saudi Arabia was about to join the Abraham Accords, and that would normalize relationships with Israel. That, that was a big, the Abraham Accords bit of history was a big victory in the Trump administration, kind of establishing relationships and trade and economic activity among nations that had largely been hostile to each other. So it was seen as a huge improvement for peace in oh, the yeah. region. And, and so you, um, one theory here is that um, Hamas does not want there to be peace in the region. They want war with Israel. Is that the nut of it? Is there any other potential motive? Because this is, again, 
this isn't just an evade. We, we're sadly familiar with evasions because we understand uh, Russia thinks they have a claim to Ukraine and there's kind of historical th thing there. And, and essentially you could end the war in Ukraine if the Ukrainians would just surrender and say, here's your, you know, you can have our country. Um, is right. that the case here with Hamas? What are they trying to accomplish? Well, they, I mean, they have been pretty explicit that their, their goal is, is from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. There'll be no Jews left in it. I mean, I remember the first time I went to Israel back in 2012, I met with a Palestinian peace activist and I said, I said, what do you want? Like, what do you, like, what's, what's the point here? And he said, well, I want peace. I said, well, so is Miss America. It's not an answer. Like, paint me the picture of peace, like describe what peace would look like. And his peace that he described to me didn't have any Jews in it. Well, it's not peace, right? That's a cessation of violence because the people you hate don't exist anymore. Like that's not peace. Yeah, that's a genocide. Exactly, and that was and that was a peace activist, right? Like somebody who was, um, you know, an advocate for let's get along kind of stuff. And that he couldn't he couldn't he couldn't paint a picture for me that had any Jews in it. And yeah. it's not gotten any better. That was you know a decade ago, and it's it's um, you know there's there's these moments like I think we were in in the last several you know last couple of years where there was really sense that this like, you know, Israel had turned the corner. Um, I mean, I was literally with a bunch of people on, on Wednesday night who, uh, who were going to go to, to Saudi Arabia to meet with the crown prince and, and make the case for, for the Abraham, for Saudi Arabia adopting the Abraham Accords. And then we all wake up on Saturday morning to uh, the news of, you know, the 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 barrier between Gaza and Israel had been breached. Um, that that Hamas fighters were going house to house, killing people, women and children, um, and and taking people hostage. And it's the hostage situation that is the reason why um, Gaza is not a pavement right now, actually. And Luke, you just mentioned the whole river to the sea concept. And again, it would be helpful if people had a map if they don't have one to understand <laughs> what that is, because the Jordan River runs north to south, kind of parallel to the Mediterranean Sea. And Israel is there, is between the Jordan River running north and south, and then the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And when they say um, from the river to the sea, that's what they mean. This entire area, which is where the entire nation of Israel exists will no longer right. have any Jewish people. So, of course, that's a problem uh, for the people who live there and are part of Israel and are Jewish. Right. It's also, mind you, it's in the back of your Bible. We, I know a lot of people don't, you know, you know, read the Bible on their phones. But back in the day, when I was a kid, right, like you read the Bible and it has the, the map And on you the still back. should. Exactly. And the map on the back, like the, all those places still exist. And that Jordan River is still there. And the so is the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. And like it's it's that land. Um, and so, you know, Christians especially should have a very good uh, like at least read on the geography there. But, yeah, it's it's it is from the river to the sea. It's uh, it was chanted uh, yesterday uh, in, a, in rallies in Times Square in San Francisco, in Florida, in Dallas, 
in in Washington D.C. around the world by by people who are coming out in support of the evil that was perpetrated against um, the Jews of Israel. Well, and to that point, let, let's talk a bit about the response from the United States to these recent uh, developments, uh, because Harvard University uh, produced, there were 31 student groups that produced a joint statement of solidarity on the situation in Palestine, as they refer to it. And it's not really long. It's longer than I'd normally like to read, but I just think it's important for context to understand with these 31 student groups at Harvard, and it's supposed to be this esteemed, you know, representation of the American intelligentsia and the elites. Here's what they said. This is, again, after like a whole weekend of of brutal sexual assaults, taking children out of the laps of their mothers and killing them. Um, terrible, terrible things that we don't even want to imagine. Here's what they said. We, the undersigned student organizations, hold the Israeli regime entirely responsible for all unfolding violence. Today's events did not occur in a vacuum. For the last two decades, millions of Palestinians in Gaza have been forced to live in an open-air prison. Israeli officials promise to open the gates of hell. That's a quote. And the massacres in Gaza have already commenced. Palestinians in Gaza have no shelter for refuge and nowhere to escape. In the coming days, Palestinians will be forced to bear the full brunt of Israel's violence. The apartheid regime is the only one to blame. Israeli violence has structured every aspect of Palestinian existence for 75 years. From systematized land seizures to routine airstrikes, arbitrary detentions to military checkpoints, and enforced family separations to target killings, Palestinians have been forced to live in a state of death, both slow and sudden. Today, the Palestinian ordeal enters into uncharted territory. The coming days will require a firm stand against colonial retaliation. We call on the Harvard community to take action to stop the ongoing annihilation of Palestinians. That's the end of the statement. Luke Moon, what's your response to that? I mean, it makes me makes me angry. I mean, basically what I what I learned from that is we now know what the, you know, the student groups uh, at Harvard who are in support of people who are committed to like serious evil. I mean, it's not like, listen, I, you know, I've been in situations in the West Bank, just outside of Bethlehem, where, you know, on a Friday afternoon, the kids coming out of the mosques, um, you know, meet up with the Israeli soldiers, you know, on the wall, and they, you know, they throw rocks at each other, and they throw tear gas, it's like, a, it's almost like, you know, the Hatfield McCoy or like, you know, remember you know, like the, you know, the, 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 the Irish and the Italians and the, in, you know, back in the day in Brooklyn, right. People just getting up on sides and the let's go kind of thing. That's not what happens. That's not what happens. What happened was, uh, there was, uh, they, they, they powered hang gliders, powered power, power gliders, uh, to a there was a concert on actually a ironically a peace concert on the border with Gaza in the desert uh, and 260 
uh, I think 269 as of right now, were brutally murdered there, uh, many of the women after being raped. Okay, that's that's different kind of evil. And what, I don't know, it's, it's really hard to, to you know, it's, it's probably not in a lot of circles appropriate to make comparisons with Nazis, but I, I, it makes me actually learn this weekend how the Nazis got away with so much what they did. That's what I learned this weekend because the, the, the level of kind of um, like moral equivalence, um, like proper indifference to, to brutality um, the, the, just like the, man, the squishiest words you can possibly have come out of our leaders, you know, calling for like restraint and, you know, we renounce violence on both sides. And like, are you kidding me? Are you like, really? I mean, like I am a part of, I mean, it's happened so quickly. I haven't had time to do my, like some research that I like to do when these types of things happen. But one of the things I'm going to go look at was what were the statements out of the Christian churches um, in 1939? I, I'm, I, I don't know, actually. I, like, I don't know what they said. But my sense is they probably said the same thing that they said yesterday. You know, I'm reading the statements out of the Archbishop of Canterbury and, and Pope Francis and the Latin Patriarchate and like churches. I mean, people have called me up today, like with deep frustration as to like what their own pastor said yesterday from the pulpit. Right. I'm like, and I, I get it. I get like the, you know, you don't want to, you know, we don't want to be calling for violence and all that sort of stuff. But I also sat in church yesterday listening to um, the opening song, not the opening song, but one of the songs we sang, the opening line is, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies and that the Lord will fight for me. Like, like there, we actually have, interestingly enough, and I heard it yesterday almost differently than I ever have, a lot of martial language in our in the in the worship songs we sing about fighting and about standing strong and god will fight for me and usually we like think of those things like we spiritualize the jibir out of those right like just but what if it is like those songs it's a real fight it's a real fight and those songs were written in real fights right like against the same people by the way Right. Like the, the, the people who were 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 David was writing about the enemies that were coming against the, the, the Israelites were the Philistines or were the Moabites or were the Amalekites. And those are the people who were like it wasn't just, um, you know, a spiritual metaphor like we use it. And so I heard yesterday, like as I was singing these worship songs, I was like. I actually recorded one of them and sent it to my 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 friend in Israel and said, so, you know, like, like, I I think this is true in the physical, too. Yeah. You know, you may I, just less than two weeks ago, I was in Poland and went to Auschwitz Birkenau. And so oh. which is, I believe, the deadliest place during the jewish holocaust of of uh world war ii and 
we have all those monuments to things to atrocities that have been committed. And again, in my timeline, which is relevant only to me, less than two weeks later, you have something that is eerily similar to this. It's just, we hate you because of who you are, and we are going to commit insane, wicked atrocities against you because of that. And, you know, we like to think that we are kind of maturing in some way. And then we have all the hashtag never again stuff all over all of our, right. all of our, of our Holocaust monuments. Yet right. Right. our response from many quarters of the West is not only tepid, which in some cases it is. I just read the statement from Harvard, 31 student groups there that basically say, you know, your skirt was too short. It was the, you know, it was the victim's fault and, right. and shame on you for the attack that just happened to you. And, and, but to that point, Luke, I, I wonder, and I, this is a bit of a, of a tangent, but I think it's worth considering. We just went through the summer of love a couple of years ago where America's cities were rioted and looted in the name of solving injustice. And we know the right. framework that critical theory and, and that's specific. We've, we had a lot of conversations about critical race theory in classrooms and making making people want to be racist. Critical theory more broadly is the idea that everybody is divided into the oppressor and the oppressed category. And those right. who have embraced critical theory have put the Israeli government and the Jewish people in the oppressor category and, and everyone else basically as part of the oppressed. And they see this purely in terms of power dynamics. And as we saw in the riots in the cities, oh, these are mostly peaceful protests. These people just are, they're frustrated with lack of economic opportunities. So this is how they're lashing out. They're not really bad people. It's not really their fault. So let's just not stop it. Let's let them burn the cities because they really actually have a point that we need to listen to. And that's kind of how critical theory assumes that anything that the oppressed do as they've defined the oppressed, to overthrow their oppressors is inherently morally good. And right. we had that debate over riots. Now we're seeing the next level of that kind of atrocity, but the same people who have embraced this as, as, as essentially the greatest explanation for why humanity does what it does, they have put the Jewish people and the Israeli government in the oppressors and everyone else has the oppressed. So anything that the oppressed do to the oppressors is morally justified because they are being oppressed. Is that a fair diagnosis of why maybe America is like uh, all, all these smart, virtuous people, as we think of ourselves, can't bring ourselves to be outraged by mass rape and mass murder? Yes, I think that's that's true. But I think it's actually it's it's one level deeper, actually. Because the reason why the Jews are hated, and there's a special hatred for the Jewish people. And I think it's actually rooted in the fact that they are the people by which God brought his moral revelation into this world, and the world hates them for it. Like the DEI clubs of America hate the Bible. And they hate, like even at the, as they use ideas of love and compassion and kindness and all, you know, anti-bullying and, you know, being like hurting one another, et cetera. Like it wouldn't have, they, those words wouldn't even have mattered in any real sense without actually like 
the the text of the Bible, actually. Actually, that law given to the Jews on Sinai. And so to me, the reason why, like, the hatred of the Jews through the lens of DEI or critical theory is, is actually just the latest expression of a hatred that goes back thousands of years. Because if you were against communism, the Jews started communism. If you were against banks, the Jews run the banks. If you were against Hollywood, Jews run Hollywood. If you're against newspapers, guess what? Jews run newspapers. And like, what is the what is the greatest evil that someone could do according to the world right now? Well, they could be um, they're, they're racist. That's the like it like to be a racist is like the worst thing you can possibly be. And so, what do they do? They label Israel an apartheid state. It's in that documentation. And why is that that they choose the document that the apartheid state level is because that is that is the framework by which the South African white minority attacked or or was mistreating the black majority population of of South Africa, right? So they're taking a situation of racism, like an like real, and it was bad, really, really nasty racism in South Africa. And they take that concept and then they apply it to Israel, where it actually doesn't make any sense at all. It's actually the opposite. There's a Jewish majority that is treating a a a antagonistic religious minority actually quite well, better than uh, just in a lot of places in this world. I mean, honestly, if we're going to be real about it. And but that's not the point. The point is to be able to label Israel a racist state. That's the point, because the worst thing you can possibly be in this world right now is a racist. And so it's it's just the latest in that. And it's it's interesting that this attack happened on the on uh, the it was there's a, there was actually a holiday called I'm going to get it wrong Shmika Torah basically it means joy of the Torah it was the it was like the celebration of the where they because the Jews every year read the 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 first five books of the Bible and they start again like basically this weekend we'll have they like so start again with Genesis one one. And they'll read through the whole Torah in a year. Every, and they do that every year. Okay. And so this was the day that they get attacked. And they get attacked for being Jews. And they get and and the world is basically saying, like, it, like it, it is, there is this hatred, this irrational hatred of the Jewish people because of that, because of the fact that they're they're the people that brought morality into this world if we believe that that like that book we read is god's blueprint for human flourishing uh it's you can imagine that the enemies of god uh are opposed to the people that brought that morality into this world i want to talk a bit also about the timing of this from an american perspective because Sadly, everything that happens here is going, everything that happens globally or locally is going to be very quickly politicized. There's going to be an attempt to politicize it by the various political tribes. And one thing that we've heard from the right is, well, Joe Biden just gave $6 billion to the Iranians, 
And we've already established the connection between the Iranian government and these organizations like Hamas and Hezbollah. The Iranians essentially fund them. We aren't going to get into the details of how, but that's generally understood. I don't think anybody disputes that fact. So the timing is at least curious that um, there was this hostage negotiation. We uh, essentially we did not give to it's not U.S. taxpayer dollars unfroze. Six billion dollars of Iranian cash that was sitting in a bank, I think in South Korea or something. And sure. we are now, I don't know, six, seven, eight days outside of that. And there's this attack. And so the right has has been very quick to say, see, Joe Biden, you did this. You unfroze that money. And now the uh, Iranians could go attack Israel through Hamas. Any truth to that, do you think? Yes, but it's it's not like this this got planned six days ago right this attack got planned long ago but it's not just i mean the biden administration unfroze the ban that trump had put in place on funding palestinian authority there was actually uh like there's a couple of things at play here in the in the grander like american you know basically biden's ineptitude when it comes to foreign policy realm here one is that there was an article in june about how the weapons that were left behind in afghanistan were 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 being found in the west bank even i would say two months ago there was a there was a conflict with some um fighters in one of this one of the towns in israel called janine and it was for and for the first time uh attack helicopters were being used for the first time in like 20 years attack helicopters being used and they were launching flares why were they launching flares because the people in this town of janine had surface-to-air missiles where'd they get them guess what the ones we left behind and where did they get the heavy 50 caliber machine guns same place right there's a lot of weaponry that we left behind. You and mean in lot- Afghanistan? What do you mean left behind? Yeah, left behind in Afghanistan. We left billions of dollars. Well, I know that. So you're saying that those weapons have come from Afghanistan to Hamas and Hezbollah? Yes, yes. I'm saying that. And that's known. I mean, it's known as in like, like I said, I have an article from June of this year where that was stated. Okay, like uh, it's, and you know, here we are, October. It's been a it's been a steady flow. Um, it's a lot. It doesn't. It you can it, you know. It's easy to transport. I mean, it's hard to transport a tank, but it's pretty easy to transport a bunch of rockets. You can you can you know load a bunch of them into something that's totally normal, and nobody ever find them. Yeah. It just is. Yeah, the, these rockets cool. are not like missiles that you attach to a, an, a, a to a, a fighter. They're not thousands right. of pounds. They're several right. feet long and a few inches in diameter are the rockets that we're talking right. about. So you can you can put a lot of them in a relatively small space. And I think and I think Hamas yeah. dropped uh, the number I've heard is like thirty five hundred uh, in the yeah. first you know twenty four forty eight hours. So they can do a lot of damage. But you're right, they're they're fairly easy to transport. And so you get you get that situation, um, you know, and it's the there was actually discussion. There's internally leaked documents that were reported yesterday by uh, the Free Beacon showing that the Biden administration knew that 
some of the money that was being given to both the Palestinian Authority and also to Iran was likely to benefit Hamas. And they did it anyways. Well, Ted Cruz actually talked about that on his um, on on his podcast. That very issue is that when uh, the Biden administration reversed their policy of sending "quote unquote" aid to Hamas, they had to actually change the law because the law requires no U.S. taxpayer dollars to be given to a terrorist organization for obvious reasons. But the Biden administration itself recognized that when we give this money to uh, the Gaza Strip, Hamas is going to get it. And so we have to change the U.S. law to allow us to give money there because we think it's likely Hamas is going to take it and use it. Now, I don't haven't seen any evidence that we're connecting that specific act to what is happening today, but money is fungible. You know, we're not idiots Um, that, that we are. We did make a conscious choice to give money to the people who are now performing mass human uh, atrocities. Luke, does this happen in a different presidential administration, do you think? No, actually not. I mean, it was, I mean, I, I was, I was flying to Israel when Trump was elected. uh, And the interesting thing was like both the Israelis and the Arabs were kind of excited because like, they're like, we know this, like, we know this kind of person. Like, you know, he's, he basically was like one of their leaders. Right. So like, we got, we like, whereas, you know, the previous minister, Obama was like, you know, he would say things and then do things that were very different. Um, he was, he had shifted the, the alliance uh, between the U S and the Sunni states to supporting uh, the to supporting Iran. Um, I think that was directly a result of some of his high administration officials having been uh, of Iranian descent. I think they, they were, you know, it's, it's a long stick. I also think it had a lot to do with the fact that, you know, the under Obama, the, the, when Obama was a Senator, the only piece of legislation he introduced was an anti-nuclear weapon, like, piece of legislation. So I think he must have had some conversations with his mom at one point said, when I become a politician, I'm going to fight against nuclear weapons, right? Which is noble, except he like completely basically destroyed the status quo on the ground. Um, And then, you know, gave millions of dollars, billions of dollars to the Iranians and then sold billions of dollars to the other Saudis. That kind of stuff. I mean, we 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 participated in a lot of violence in that. And so when when Trump came into power, he took off the shackles of our military to actually destroy ISIS. Uh, you know, Russia would not have invaded Ukraine. Uh, there's I, I am is it's there's no way Hamas would have done this under the Trump administration because like he's he was too unpredictable, too like well, they don't know. I mean, we like. I mean, he, he uh, you know, so Soleimani, you know, ended up, um, you know, on a spread out over his uh, car in in a in an airport in Iraq. Right. And nobody else would touch that guy. And and it shows like his power, like his his willingness to use American power uh, to to actually punish evil. Yeah. And I think that's what our, our current administration is unable to do. They can't see evil. 
And, and that goes to a, an important worldview point, and I think in all of this, when you say they can't see evil, that's not a category that they really recognize. In, in no. the categories of good and evil have been replaced by oppressors and the oppressed, and that's why the worldview part of this matters so much is because and I'm I'm as critical as anybody I know of Donald Trump for all sorts of yeah, reasons, sure, but sure. he had this innate instinct to just understand some things are evil and some of them are going to get a missile dropped on their head and evil actually respects that. And if evil right. is outgunned, right. which evil technically is, we have the bigger guns, but we do right. not have the clarity to recognize that's evil. So no, we're not going to send money to it. No, we're not going to negotiate with it. No, we're not going to try to hug it. No, we're not going to pretend that if we oppress it less, then suddenly it will like us back. That is a misunderstanding of human nature and what we're actually dealing with. And, you know, that's, I think, part of why, you know, the Afghanistan withdrawal, we talked about that. And there's lots of people who think the Russian invasion of Ukraine would have never happened if we had a different oh, yeah. president. Now we have this happening. What I'm worried about, Luke, is that China sees how we're thin. And they're like, this seems like a great time to take Taiwan. You, you have, if... I mean, you have an administration that thinks men can get pregnant and we're surprised that they can't figure out the reality of the world out there. I'm sorry. Like if you're if you're blind about the basics of human biology, you're not going to get realpolitik across the world where most people don't think men can get pregnant. <laughs> well, fair. And I don't and and most people don't respect those who think men can get pregnant. And I think above all things, what we're seeing right now is is a world that does not respect uh, what used to be kind of the biggest kid on the block and would able be able to put you in your place. And everybody was kind of concerned about that. But no longer are we concerned about that. Yeah. So Luke Moon. Um, you know, there's a lot more to say. Unfortunately, this is probably going to go on for a while and uh, we're probably going to have to do a round two, but I'm going to wrap this up for now and, and really appreciate you and your work that the Felos Project does and uh, look forward to talking about this again. Thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me. And friends, also, I just want to remind you, we began with scripture. We will uh, end with scripture. Psalm 37. Uh, reminds us, this is verse 12 and 13, that the wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. And we are seeing that right now. And just kind of these declarations of victory and this feeling of pompousness because, oh, we struck a blow and we surprised them. The rest of that verse says, the Lord laughs at them for he sees that their day is coming. Uh, Satan uh, is uh, active. He is harming people's lives, but he does not win the day. And that's uh, one way we can take hope in all of this. But of course, be in prayer for our friends in Israel. Pray for safety, uh, miraculous interventions by the hand of God that shows he's still active and alive in the world. If you learned something today, and, and I certainly have, um, share it with a friend. They will benefit from it as well. If you have any comments, questions, uh, thoughts, or suggestions for future conversations, you can reach me at outstanding at WashingtonStand.com. It's been a pleasure as always. I'm Joseph Backholm, and this has been Outstanding. Outstanding is a production of The Washington Stand, where you can find news and commentary from a biblical worldview.